don't know what everybody else is doing, but it's kind of weird how Christmas falls this year. Anybody else feel this way? Usually, the Sunday right before Christmas is like the Sunday right before Christmas. And this year, you're like, it's coming. Because Christmas is until Saturday. How are we all feeling today, I wonder? Right? It's funny. We're like, it's the most wonderful time. (laughs) It's the most exhausting time. (laughs) It's the most family stresses me out time. (laughs) Right? Anybody feel that way? Right? Let's get a quick show of hands. This is participatory. This scares me. No, no, not like that. Some of you are ready to show your hands. All right. Here, let's go this way. If you're just enjoying the Christmas season, it's going really well. Let's go this way. If it's got some ups and downs, a little bit neutral. Let's go this way if you're like, it's rough. Got to be honest, it's rough. All right, honesty, you're among friends. No judgment here. You're not going to have 10 people come afterwards and say, I saw your thumb was down. Okay, it's not that. All right, some of you are really nervous. Are they writing down names? We don't write down names. All right, Uh, here we go. Thumbs up. It's going great. I'm enjoying it. All right, neutral. It's got some good, some bads. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Thumbs down. It's actually kind of rough. Okay, nobody. Everybody. (laughs) Debbie's like, I'm in. All right. That's just, we need God's help through this season, don't we? There are so many wonderful things about it, but it also can be a really, really challenging time. And so I'm thankful for um, kind of the sermon series that Danny chose. Why did Jesus come? We got to come back to the why, don't we? It's not just about lights and manger scenes and, you know, candy canes and all that. There's a deep, amazing purpose behind Jesus coming. And uh, and that's where we've been. Uh, Danny so so clearly from John chapter 1 challenged us that Jesus came so we could know God. Is, don't we take that for granted? Like, of course, that's what Jesus did. That is big, significant. Right? Last week, he talked about how whether we believe it or not, Jesus came to give you rest in the frantic, crushing expectations and exhaustion of life. He really came so you could have rest. And this week, we turn to Mark chapter 10. So let's read these words together. We'll start in verse 35, and then the the last few verses will be on the screen for you. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You know, the first few times I read that, I thought it had a question mark after it. There's no question mark. Hey, do this for us. Wow. And Jesus said to them, Patience. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. No question mark, just a period. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, I bet. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man, here it is, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's impossible to miss the simple truths of those verses, is it? Jesus came to serve. Let's pray together as we dig into this passage together. God, we thank you for your word. It is rich food for our souls. Help us this morning to hear from you loud and clear into our own lives that we would not be able to leave this room unchanged. God, we confess to you today that we are so distracted by gatherings and parties and gifts still to be bought and wrapped and gatherings and it's just our hearts are thrown a thousand directions. Please quiet them. Give us rest today. And help us to do the most important thing, not to, be, not to be busy running around, but to sit at your feet and to hear from you. Thank you that we have your word alive and powerful and just what we need this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder this morning if you would consider yourself to be driven. Uh, did a kind of personality exam a while ago. It was really popular. I think they're actually really helpful in some ways. Um, they can be over, like, stressed about, but I think they're helpful. And uh, top five strengths. My first one was analytical. I overthink everything. So those of you who know me know that. Uh, yeah. Uh, my second one was achiever. I feel better about every day if we've accomplished some goal, you know, driven. Now, I like some words up on that list. There's some I don't like. I'm not entirely sure how uh, pyromania or kleptomaniac got in there, but <laughs> I, I kind of like strong, <laughs> determined, ambitious. Hard-headed doesn't land so well with me, but it's probably true, right? Obstinate, it could be obstinate. Energetic. I found this picture online and I just couldn't pass it up. There you go. <laughs> Some of you feel like this is your experience with teenage children, maybe college age, the 28-year-old who still lives in your basement, <laughs> driven. When we, when we look at Mark chapter 10, we get this glimpse into what drove Jesus, and it's, and it's a bit unexpected, really. There's a powerful contrast in these verses, isn't there? And I think if we listen well to James and John, who we would, would easily be like, what are those knuckleheads doing? And we're like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a real reflection of this guy and all of us. And then we step back and we listen to Jesus. There's much to be thankful for and much that God needs to do in our own heart. The first thing we see in these verses is, is the, the bad side of the coin, if you want to say that. Significance, the search for significance. Significance pursued in selfish ambition. It's pretty tough to miss, isn't it, when you look at verse 35? James and John come to Jesus and they say to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Hey, Mom and Dad, just say yes. <laughs> no. No, he said say yes. No, that's a, that's a certain no. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but if you won't tell me what it is, then it's double bad, right? And just think about the, the comfortable arrogance that leads to this sort of demand on Jesus himself. 
Now we know that James and John were close to Christ. Peter, James, and John, his closest inner circle. But, but their sense of what's in it for me is tough to miss. And then Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? What a searching question. Doesn't Jesus, isn't Jesus an expert at asking patient, searching questions? Right? I would have been tempted to cut him off at the pass right there. But Jesus says, well, tell me what you want. Now, we know that what James and John are about to ask for is premeditated. <laughs> they, they've been thinking about this for a little bit. Turn back to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Look at verse 33. And, and maybe it comes out of what James and John, Peter, James, and John had seen in the beginning of chapter 9 where Jesus was transfigured before them and showed them his glory. And now they start to get ideas for themselves. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You know what's fascinating? Turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Next chapter. And they were bringing children to him. Remember what Jesus just told them? Whoever receives a child, it honors me. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. They missed it. But Jesus, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That word pops up again in our, in our text today. They're indignant at each other. And Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. So can't you just feel... <laughs> how the disciples in their own minds so self-focused are just missing it. Go back to the end of chapter 10. Jesus asked them a question, what do you want for me to do? And they said to him, grant to us to sit at your right hand, one on your, uh, one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. And then Jesus says something to them, you do not know what you are asking for. Their ambition is just coming out of their hearts. But it comes out of ours too, doesn't it? Who gets to sit at your right hand and your left hand? I mean, we know you're going to be the one in glory. You're the one that's at the center of it all. But, but where do we get to go? What's our spot? Where are we on the org chart? Are, are we vice presidents? I mean, you can pick who wants which side. But we, we just want to make sure that we've got important places. I, I wonder if James and John thought if they asked first, they, they would get those spots. And Jesus gently looks at them and says, do you even know what you're asking for? And they say, of course, we're ready. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're going to experience great hardship. When Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He was talking about his suffering and death that was coming soon. And he told them, you're going to experience something like that. But, but to have these places of prominence, 
that, that's, that's not even mine to give. I, th- I think he's hinting here that, that that's the role of God the Father to assign places and roles and responsibilities. I wonder how often our lives are a bit of just a big game of king of the mountain. Turn to James chapter three. James chapter three. It's an incredible snow that we got this week. It's beautiful. I think it's probably the biggest one we've had since we've lived in the valley. It's our fifth year here. I do have one complaint. I've got to be honest with you. I love Riverton. We live about a mile from here, right, right here in town, right near Rosamond Elementary School, for those of you who know the area well. And uh, I, I love almost everything about Riverton. The community, you know, the way that it handles, you know, um, our utilities and our secondary water and our taxes and all that. But this is the first big snowstorm I've experienced here. And something weird happened. And some of you who live in Riverton know what it is. The plows came by on, what day did it snow? Wednesday? Tuesday into Wednesday? They came by Wednesday morning. One time. One pass each way down the middle of my street. My street is probably four passes wide. Right now, granted, there's people parked all over the place on, you know, next to their driveways. And I was like, oh, that's okay. They're trying to get all the main roads, and then they're going to come back to my road and clean it up, and we'll shovel out our little way out, but then they'll, like, push it closed again, you know, like always happens. Um, But they never came back. And around the corner from my house, there's, like, this big ice mound, um, like, death corner to get to Redwood Road. So after, like, two days, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Did our street not pay our taxes, or what happened? So I, I went across the street to our neighbors, Kent and Ginny, who are like kind of the mainstays of the neighborhood. And Ginny was out shoveling. I said, Ginny, what's going on with our road? She goes, oh, that's how it works. That's how it works? They just plow one strip down the middle, and then we're on. I'm like, we're on for what? I don't have a plow. That's just kind of how it works. So I'm going to call the mayor. We're going to see what we can get done. But it's so my one complaint about the snow. There you go. It's, a, it's on public. It's public now. I won't complain about Riverton. But I love big snows, and I loved uh, as a kid growing up because uh, the school I went to had a big parking lot, and they'd plow these massive snow mounts. Then we play king on the mountain. But do you know what James and John are doing in Mark chapter 10? They're like, Jesus put us on top of the mountain. Their ambition is just. And then the other disciples are going, no, that's not fair. You called front seat, but it's my turn. That's not okay. And they're filled with jealousy. And king of the mountain is kind of like scratch, claw, push, shove. It's good because you're in a snowsuit because you can land at the bottom of the hill safely, right? But it's just who can get to the top? And I wonder if the words of James chapter 3 don't connect directly to what's happening with James and John. Look at James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't brag and say, I have a great relationship with God. I love God, even though my heart is filled with jealousy and I'm just trying to get to the top. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. You didn't get that from God. But it's earthly, unspiritual. Look at that last word, demonic. Remember Satan? I want to be like the most high. I want, I want to the top. Put me on the top. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We should take that verse and and put it up around our houses. That would be a, a nice uplifting verse, wouldn't it? Just hang that on your wall. But isn't that so much of what our culture has descended into? Everyone wants to get to the top financially. We all want to get to the top in our jobs. We want to get to the top politically. And we'll cheer as long as our aims and our goals and our vision is getting to the top. And if someone else's is, then we're going to be filled with jealousy. And when that's running a culture, by the way, this happens in churches. This happens in workplaces. When that's spinning the wheel, there's confusion conflict and every vile practice. There's tripping and pushing and shoving and lying. Conflict is always the result. 1 John 2.15 says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And while it's easy to point fingers and, and be disappointed, disgusted, social media, angry, about our culture? Don't you see this in your own heart? Well, where's my spot? Where's my position? Where's my recognition? Why don't people think more of me? How can I make more money? How can I be more successful? How can I, how can I, how can I? Jesus, give us what we want! Go back to Mark chapter 10. So Jesus steps in, doesn't he? Verse 42, and Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, and I'm sure that there were times that Jesus raised his voice. There were appropriate times to that. But, but I think so often probably Jesus spoke very calmly, gently, <laughs> correctively. And what does he have to say? And this is something that every single one of us in this room, from, from the youngest child <laughs> who struggles with their chores to the oldest retiree, who has their stage of life that they're in right now. This is what we all need to hear this morning. Listen to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Oh, you know who's in charge. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But it shall not be so among Gospel Hope Church by God's grace. But it shall not be so of Matt Parker, whose drive fills him up with all these wrong things. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then Jesus says, and look at me. For even the Son of Man, the one with the most glory, the most power, the most privilege. I appreciated how Ron prayed at the beginning from Philippians chapter 2. The one who, who didn't make a big deal about equality with God, but humbled himself. Those were the verses Ron prayed. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I find it interesting here that Jesus resists the urge 
to put the disciples in their place or fix even the surface problem. Jesus speaks right to their hearts. He speaks right to what's deep inside of them. Moms, dads, mats, Colleen's. Would God give us grace to have these sort of conversations with our children? In those moments we just want to go, what are you doing? What does Jesus say? Your world sees significance in one way, but I see it in another. And this has been the significant purpose of my life. Jesus says a couple things about the society that they live in, and I think we can all connect with this, that people who are important or have authority, they get served and they put people in their place and they let you know who's in charge. You ever been on the other end of one of those conversations? You're like, oh, oh, you're in charge. Got it. Jesus says that's how it works in the world that we live in, and that's how it works in our world, doesn't it? But not in God's economy. It's part of our job as Christians to to go on and on learning how God sees the world, not how we see the world, not how our culture sees the world. It's our job to keep listening to what God's perspective is and to let that shape our minds. This This is a lifelong journey if you're a Christian. By the way, if God is not stepping on your toes sometimes, then, then you're avoiding what he has to say. And so he says, that's how it is in the world you live in, but that's not how it is in God's economy. Whoever would be great must be your servant. You know what that word is? That's the word diakonos. It's the word we get deacon from. It just means to serve. Do you know what deacon's job is? To lead in service. Let me make this very clear here. It's not the deacon's job to do all the serving. Are you all listening to me? (laughs) It's not like Danny is one of our new deacons, Josh is one of our new deacons, Randy, I saw Randy's one of our new deacons. I'm like, oh, great. We got some more guys to do all the stuff. No, they they help lead us in serving. We believe in 100% of our church family doing 100% of the work. So if you don't have a place, you're killing our percentage here. Find a place. Find a spot to serve. And, and, And with God's help, these men and their, and their wives will help lead and they'll serve right alongside you. But, but Jesus says that's at the heart of what is greatness in my economy. It's serving. And then he goes a step further, doesn't he? And he says, whoever would be great among you or first among you must be slave of all. So the extent is powerful. It, it's, it's anywhere, <laughs> anyone Anytime. Can I help you? If you're looking for a place to serve that conveniently fits inside your schedule and ticks all the boxes for you, then you're not going to be finding good places to serve. Serving takes sacrifice and it's uncomfortable and it's lowly and it's often unnoticed. Unless you have social media and you can make everyone notice you're serving. Think how crazy that is. Jesus says that's what real greatness looks like. And, and I'm just going to tell you, if you read the gospel accounts, you're going to watch Jesus do this over and over and over and over again. You're going to watch him in places that are uncomfortable. You're going to watch him with people that are disgraced. You're going to watch him just helping and helping and helping some more. I, in, in the lead up for this sermon this morning, I was reading all the way through, uh, you know, that sounds like a lot. Mark 1 through 10. You can read that in probably an hour, right? It's not, not a huge undertaking. 
But you know what you see all the way through Mark, in Mark 1 through 10? Jesus just serving and helping. You know the person who's completely unconcerned with his own importance or prestige? Jesus. He's actually trying to get away from people all the time. And they keep tracking him down. He, he's actually trying to tell people, hey, stop making a big deal about this. Stop making a big deal about this. And what do they do? Hey, guess what? They make a big deal. He's just helping and serving. And, and he goes like in, he goes to the, the maniac of Gadara, we call him. I think that's Mark 3 or 4. And he helps this man who's a community outcast, who's in the caves, who's crying, screaming, demon-possessed. And, and Jesus helps him, and then he, he casts the demons into a bunch of pigs who run off a cliff and drown. And the people in the community are like, what happened to our pigs? He's helping this guy. And he puts his hand on a leper, Mark chapter 1. And he heals a woman, and he raises a girl from the dead, and he, he, he just is serving and teaching. When he sees the crowd without enough food after a long day of teaching, you know what his disciples say? Send them away. And Jesus is like, feed them. Huh? His disciples are constantly saying, not enough time, not enough resources, not enough. And Jesus is just like, let me serve them. Let me serve them. Let me serve them. It's what makes him tick. And I think the power, in part, of what Jesus has to say next is that this is his pattern of life from cradle to grave, if we want to say that. Right? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, verse 45, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a payment for many. Isn't that incredible? Jesus modeled this sort of service, teaching, healing, forgiving. He just, he just oozed it everywhere he went to everyone who needed him. This was Jesus. It starts in a manger, and I appreciated how Andrew touched on that in our singing. Right? Again, we've kind of made it these, these scenes a little bit more glamorous than they actually were. It's probably a stone trough of some sort. You, you contrast that with how vigilantly we certainly did, or any first-time mom works on the bedding place of their child, right? They know every recall that's happened in every crib in the world in the last 50 years. Front sleep, back sleep, you know, uh, what, do you, what do you call this? The sleep sack, like the blank, you know. Here's Jesus. Put, put, me in, put me in a manger. All the way to the cross. The ultimate act of service and again, we've glamorized it, but what is it ultimately? It's, it's the awful suffering and death of God himself. Service to a million degrees. That's Jesus. And I love how verse 45 says it, to give his life. You wonder why Jesus came? To give his life as a ransom for many. I love how that doesn't just say a few or a couple, or some, but Jesus hung and died, suffered as we remembered last week, for us. To, to bear the weight of our sin, to experience the wrath of God so that you don't have to if you put your faith in him. And he did that for many. I cannot wait for the day that we all stand in God's presence and we see what many means. So often in this valley we feel few, don't we? And we pray for other churches in the valley and we're thankful for the work that God's doing and he's doing it one by one, but, but it's gonna result in many, many, many. 
the great service of Jesus meets us in our great needs. In his grace, Jesus serves the need of our sin by giving his life. And in his grace, he serves the need of our weakness every single day. Do you sense that? Remember what James and John said? Can you handle this? Like, absolutely! What? But don't we do the same thing? Hey, can you handle what's in front of you? Absolutely! No, you can't. God made you weak. He made, he made you too weak to be the parent that he's called you to be. He made you too weak to be the employee that he's called you to be. He made us all weak so that we could serve him together in this body. But even all together, we're still plenty too weak. And, and, and Jesus gives us grace every day. So can I ask you two quick questions as we finish up? Do we see ourselves as needed or needy? What about you? Do you see yourself as needed or needy? I think that James and John would have said, uh, we're here to help because you need us. Pick a spot, right or left, we, whatever, but make sure you put us high on the chart because you know, you know, us too, we're here. And Jesus says, I'm here. I'm actually here to serve you in your need. We need a dying savior. We need his daily grace. So let's stop running from our need and start embracing Jesus in our needs. They say that Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. You ever heard that? I think we could also say after these last two weeks, it's just one exhausted person telling another where he can find rest. And one weak sinner telling another where he can find a savior. And to all those things, Jesus is our answer. He came to serve us in our need. Can I ask you a little sub-question of that? Are we quick to problem solve or to pray? I know it's one of the heartbeats of, of our church is that we would be a place of prayer. But do you know what happens all too often? We're quick to try to fix things and really slow to pray. We're super happy to show up for a worship service that we can enjoy and, oh man, be about to, and they're like, let's come and pray. We're like, ah, might be busy. Might have other plans. We're gonna enjoy a little season of prayer at the beginning of the year. You know what? It's gonna take sacrifice. It's gonna take making some things work. It's gonna be uncomfortable in some ways. That's good. On Saturday, um, the city of Riverton had a wreath laying uh, with wreaths across America for veterans who've uh, died and who are laid to rest in Riverton Seminary, or Cemetery, Seminary, Cemetery. <laughs> and uh, just so that we can publicly broadcast our service and you can all know, we went. But obviously it snowed significantly and so all the, all the headstones are covered up with six or eight inches of snow. So they'd marked them all with these red stakes, these stakes with a little red paint on the top, and they're about 400, 383, I think was the exact number of veterans who have since died and are buried in Riverton Cemetery. So we went, and we were helping hang wreaths at each grave. So it's an opportunity to remember and to teach and to give honor. And uh, as we knelt by each gravestone and try to dig out the snow. Some people smarter than us had brought brooms. That was really smart. But we hadn't. 
So we're kind of kneeling in the snow, digging out graves. And my, and my pant leg is getting soaked, and it's cold. And here I am, and I'm kind of like, oh, this, is a, this is uncomfortable. And then I thought, think of the sacrifice and the cold nights and the loneliness and the pain from, I think there was someone there like Civil War, like Civil War up through probably Vietnam era, maybe even some presently from all the conflicts recently. And I was just struck by the sense that that little moment of service and that little moment of cold as the wind kind of whipped through doesn't even touch what people have done for me. The freedom I enjoy, right? They say freedom's never free. That's true. But do you know that picture doesn't even touch what the sinless son of God did when he came to a manger and served humbly and went to a cross? Is our life marked by getting or by giving? Are we chasing a life of selfless service or of selfish significance? Could we ask God today to crush our self-ambition and jealousy? And could we ask him to fill our hearts with sacrificial love and service wherever we go? That's who Jesus is. That's why he came. If you're still trying to make yourself right with God through your own service, can I just beg you to bow the knee to Jesus? To put your faith in him as the one who took your place? And if you've already done that, there's power in this contrast today. There's James and John. They're all about them, their position, their power. There's the other 10 disciples who are upset because they want to get something they don't have. And then there's Jesus, humbly, selflessly serving. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word this morning. It has told us of how you see life. And it's told us of the wonder of your son. God, would you unleash from our hearts, would you pull from our hearts the pride of life that so engulfs our culture and ourselves? Would you fill us with a desire to happily shovel and clean and and bring a meal, and pray for one another, and serve? And would you leave us in awe of a Savior who did that his entire life, and then died for us? What a great Savior he is. Give us his grace, we pray, every day. We need it desperately. It's in his name I pray. Amen.